Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got an interesting show for you all today, so I'm just going to get right into it. We're going to start out with an article that was written by the Associated Press. There's no author listed on this one, but family of Arkansas inmate who died of malnutrition files lawsuit against the facility. The family of a man who died from dehydration and malnutrition while being held at a West Arkansas jail filed a federal lawsuit on Friday claiming the jail staff ignored his medical and mental health needs. Larry Eugene Price Jr. died at the Sebastian County Jail August 2021 after being held a little over a year at the facility awaiting trial on a terroristic threatening charge. Prince, 51, who had a history of serious mental illness, had been held in solitary confinement at the county facility, according to the lawsuit. The lawsuit against Sebastian County accuses the jail and its medical provider of neglecting Price as he ate and drank less over the course of a year, and his weight dropped from about 185 pounds to just 90 pounds. Jail staff discontinued Price's mental health medications after he refused to take them, the lawsuit said, and didn't make any effort to follow up with the inmate to address his mental health needs. Barry Price suffered in the tortured throes of his untreated mental disorder for months on end as jail health care and security staff watched him waste away, apathetic to his life-threatening medical and mental needs and to the cruelty of his confinement, the lawsuit said. The lawsuit was filed against Sebastian County and Turnkey Health Clinic, LLC, the jail's medical provider, along with two employees of Turnkey. It also lists several unnamed employees of the county jail and turnkey as defendants. Sebastian County Judge Steve Holtz said the sheriff is conducting an internal review of Price's case. A message left at Oklahoma-based turnkey health clinics was not immediately returned. The county places a high priority on the safety of every person in our jail. We have medical personnel available to treat inmates in need of care, Holtz said in an email. The sheriff is conducting an internal review of the situation, and we hope to know more in the future. According to the lawsuit, inspections of the jail over the years identified problems such as overcrowding, understaffing, and inadequate space at the county facility. Price was arrested in August 2020 after he walked into the Fort Smith Police Department and threatened officers while pointing his fingers as if he was pulling an imaginary trigger. The lawsuit said... Price, who had also had a developmental disability, was homeless at the time of his arrest. The lawsuit accuses the jail and its provider of violating Price's constitutional rights and seeks compensatory and punitive damages. Well, we all know that the jail system here in the U.S. has a lot of problems that need fixing, and this just kind of highlights those problems even more. This man was obviously suffering from very severe mental illness and needed help that he did not get. In any case, we will keep you all posted on that one as it continues to make its way through the court system. And we covered off on this case a few weeks back about the case of the woman who sued Geico for contracting HPV in a vehicle. But evidently, a Missouri judge vacated the $5.2 million Geico payout to a woman for contracting HPV in a car. 
and I didn't see an author on this one, but in any case, Geico is off the hook, at least for now, from paying a Missouri woman $5.2 million because she said she contracted a sexually transmitted disease in the car of a man who was insured by the company. The Missouri State Supreme Court this last week ruled unanimously to overturn a court's lower ruling that favored paying the woman. Instead, the state Supreme Court judges said Maryland-based Geico should have had a chance to weigh in sooner and sent the case back to the lower court for further deliberation. According to court documents, the woman, identified as M.O. and a man who were in a relationship, had sex in the man's car. She contends that she contracted HPV, which is human papillomavirus, because the man did not tell her he had the disease. HPV can cause cervical cancer, certain other cancers, and genital warts. In February 2021, M.O. notified Geico she planned to seek a $1 million insurance settlement against the man. She argued the man's auto insurance provided coverage for her injuries and losses. The insurance company refused the settlement, saying the woman's claim did not occur because of normal use of the vehicle, according to court documents. An arbitrator eventually determined she should be awarded $5.2 million for the damages and her injuries. Geico sought to intervene in the case but was denied by an appeals court. So she's not going to get the $5.2 million settlement. We will see what comes out of this and we'll keep you guys posted on this case. And the next one is Twitter sued over data breach after hack site claims 200 million compromised accounts. And Mary Papenfus is the author of this article. A Twitter user has sued the company over a data breach days after an internet hacker site posted information allegedly gleaned from more than 200 million accounts. New York State resident Stephen Gerber claims in his lawsuit filed Friday in federal court in San Francisco that his personal information was among data collected by Twitter hackers from July 2021 to January 2021. He seeks class action status for those whose information may have been hacked and asks the court for unspecified monetary damages as well as an order requiring Twitter to hire third-party security auditors. Gerber's lawsuit blames a defect in Twitter's application programming interface that allows cyber criminals to scrape data from Twitter. The compromised information included usernames, emails, and phone numbers that could be used in phishing scams, the lawsuit says. Twitter admitted in August that some 5.4 million accounts had been breached when a bad actor obtained personal information through an unspecified vulnerability in Twitter's systems. Affected users and authorities were prompted notified and the vulnerability was fixed, said Twitter. Twitter then insisted in a blog post last week that there was no evidence that the data now being sold online was obtained by exploiting a vulnerability of Twitter's systems. The data is likely a collection of data already publicly available online through different sources, the company said. Twitter did not immediately respond to the lawsuit. An anonymous poster on the hacker site Breach Forums early this month published a database claiming to contain basic information about hundreds of millions of Twitter's users. Gerber's lawsuit says Twitter has seemingly buried its head in the sand about the magnitude of the hack. Twitter is grappling with a number of other lawsuits at the moment, and it has recently been sued by one of its San Francisco landlords claiming non-payment of rent, and by the Canary Marketing and Implied Data Inc. for allegedly failing to pay for services. 
Twitter workers fired by Elon Musk as part of a massive staff reduction after he bought the company for $4.4 billion last year failed to win a class action status in San Francisco court last week. U.S. District Judge James Donato ruled that five former Twitter employees accusing the company of failing to give adequate notice before their firing must press their claims in private arbitration because of employment agreements they signed with the company, according to CNN. We'll keep you guys posted on that one as it moves forward in the court system. The next thing I want to talk about today is the main case for the day, and I'm going to talk about a missing person that's been in the news quite frequently, and I was kind of curious about this, and so I looked into it and researched it, and here is the case of Anna Walsh. Anna Lubikic was born in Belgrade, Serbia in the mid-1980s. She was a naturally bright and ambitious young woman who obtained a degree from the University of Belgrade, then a master's from Cornell University in hospitality management before getting dual citizenship in the United States. She obviously was very bright and ambitious and driven, wanting to get that education so she could get a good job. Seven years ahead of Anna was Brian Walsh. He was being raised by a prominent Boston neurologist father. Brian claimed to be terrorized by his father and stated in court documents later that he felt worthless and was told that he would never amount to anything, that he was a lost cause. And where Anna was driven to succeed, Brian dropped out of Carnegie Mellon and pursued a different life, claiming to be involved with business investing and CFO duties, though none of his companies in his LinkedIn profile have any sort of website or information available. Anna and Brian met at the affluent Wheatley Hotel in 2008. This is a hotel in the Berkshires. It's about two hours west of Boston. And although Anna claimed that it was love at first sight, she was actually married to the hotel's executive sous chef, Mark Kipp, at the time that she met Brian Walsh. She was working as a reservations manager and was struck by the charming businessman and unable to forget him. In 2014, Anna divorced her first husband and pursued a long-distance relationship with Brian Walsh, but all was not smooth sailing for these two. Shortly after her divorce in 2014, Anna called the police, alleging that Brian had threatened to kill her and her friends. However, the case was dropped after Anna refused to testify against him. She actually ended up marrying Brian in December of 2015, and the two went on to have three sons. It should be noted as well that none of the groom's family members were present at the wedding. No one really knows if Brian had any legitimate employment in the seven years after he married Anna. And those who knew the couple said that Anna wore the pants and often struggled with telling friends and family about her husband, who was struggling to keep up with his wife as she became the family's sole breadwinner. First, she was the director of operations for the Multu Group at EXP Realty, and then she was a high-powered executive at Tishman Spire, a prominent real estate company. At the time of her disappearance, Anna worked out of their offices in the Washington, D.C. area starting in February 2022. But let's jump back to 2018. Brian Walsh actually stole several Andy Warhol paintings from a college roommate and then commissioned copies of those paintings. 
He then returned the originals and proceeded to sell the Warhols first to an art dealer in Los Angeles and then to another collector in France. He racked up an alleged $225,000 and possibly more for these two fraudulent transactions before authorities caught on and arrested Walsh. But not before Walsh transferred around $115,000 to his wife's bank account and even purchased her a Maserati for Valentine's Day. During this time, Anna, who is said to have had no knowledge of her husband's duplicity, wrote numerous letters to the federal courts asking for leniency in her husband's case. In these letters, after her husband pled guilty to his charges, Anna claimed her husband was a wonderful and loving father and husband, that he was a stay-at-home dad for their three kids who really needed him there. She also said that if she did not have Brian with her, that she would have to quit her job and would have no means to support their family and their three children. Brian was put on house arrest in 2021 after he pleaded guilty to the charges of fraud and several other charges and is still waiting for sentencing on those charges. Anna claimed Brian had turned his life around and regretted his crimes. She claimed he'd had a rough upbringing by psychologically abusive parents who constantly made him feel like a failure and forced him to lie just to survive. I don't know how true these claims are, and there really is no evidence either way against his parents. I have a hard time believing that a prominent and affluent doctor has done this to this young man. But in any case, in October 2022, right as Brian was about to be sentenced, prosecutors discovered more duplicity in his life. Ryan had been about to be released with no jail time on charges of wire fraud, interstate transportation for a scheme to defraud, possession of converted goods, and unlawful monetary transactions. He was immediately ordered to forfeit about 225 k which was around the amount he'd netted from the Warhol transactions. So it looked like he was off the hook on that. But then prosecutors found out he'd swindled over a million dollars from his father's estate, which caused her to be a falling out with his father around 2008. Then in 2018, when his father died, Brian drained his father's bank accounts and sold everything of value, despite the fact that his father had purposely left Brian out of the will. The judge then postponed Brian's sentencing so he could investigate the claims of embezzlement against the estate of Brian's father. By then, Walsh had been on house arrest for a good portion of 2022. In the meantime, though, Anna was forging her own path, selling the couple's home in Boston and purchasing a home and vehicle in Washington, D.C., Brian was on house arrest indefinitely and stayed in a rented townhome with the couple's three sons as a stay-at-home father, while Anna worked in Washington, D.C. It was evident then that Anna was paying all of the bills and struggling with her husband being on house arrest. He wore a house arrest bracelet, but there was no GPS on it. He was allowed to take the kids to school, but needed to ask permission to leave the house on other occasions. During the trial, friends of Anna say she was reluctant to talk about her husband at all, and some described Brian as violent and others as a sociopath. Even so, Anna continued to claim in court letters that her husband was a loving and devoted father. 
But Anna's life was beginning to unravel, and just a few weeks before the end of the year, tenants in one of the properties she rented out claimed she had what could only be described as an epic meltdown when the tenants confronted her about selling the property they had rented for the last four years. They said they'd done numerous projects in the house and had never received compensation. But when they confronted Anna about all of this, she reacted in a way that was very different from her typical professional behavior. Anna went to Serbia on a family visit and seemed to have gotten some measure of comfort from her friends and family in her Serbian hometown. Then before New Year's Eve, Anna made some calls to her mother, older sister, and a bridesmaid from her wedding. She also had asked her mother to visit and seemed quite urgent when she was trying to get that set up, but she would give no explanation for her urgency. After dinner and drinks with a family friend at their Cohasset home, which is about 45 minutes outside of Boston, Anna allegedly went to bed around one in the morning and no one has seen her since. Her husband did not report her disappearance until January 4th, claiming that Anna had taken a rideshare to the airport for an emergency at work in Washington, D.C. Brian claimed that he'd been sleeping when his wife Anna left for the airport, but he guessed that she'd left between 6 and 7 in the morning on January 1st, 2023. Police were able to confirm that Anna had a flight scheduled for January 3rd, but there is no record of her getting on any flight and no evidence that she'd used any sort of taxi or rideshare on January 1st. So where did the general manager from Tishman Spire go? When questioned, Brian claimed that it was not unusual for his wife to go to work and not immediately communicate with him, although this seems rather implausible, particularly considering the fact that the couple share three young children. I believe the children were two, four, and six, or around that age span. Brian said he spent January 1st running errands for his mother, at Whole Foods and CVS. However, there is no surveillance video or any other evidence that Brian actually went to either of those two places. He was seen, though, near a dumpster at a juice place that he claimed to have visited on New Year's or shortly thereafter. In addition, video surveillance clearly shows Brian, in a mask and gloves, purchasing items like a tarp, mops, tape, a bucket, and other cleaning supplies at Home Depot in the amount of $450. This is highly suspicious, as we all know that people don't randomly just go into a Home Depot store and purchase items like that, especially the tarp. But in the meantime, Anna's friends and family say that Anna was a consummate professional at work, and she showed no signs of anything being wrong with her or her marriage. New Year's had been ordinary, and her friends say that she toasted with them and with her family, and they believe that she would never leave her children. Most of them think that there must be some sort of foul play here that caused the 39-year-old mother of three to go missing. They just don't know what that foul play is or who is responsible. When they look at Anna's phone records, police see that the last activity on her phone was around 0.7 miles from the Boston home that she shared with her husband in an area off Reservoir Road around 3.14 a.m. 
After that ping off the cell towers, her phone went dead. By January 4th, Anna's employer called police to ask for a welfare check when Anna never showed up for work. So there is some debate here as to whether the employer called for the welfare check first or whether Brian called the police first to file the missing persons report. But in any case, Brian Walsh then made numerous calls to Anna's friends asking if they'd seen her and texts as well before reporting his wife missing with the police department. Authorities then went to the Walsh home around 6.30 p.m. on January 4th to question Brian Walsh. He claimed he had not seen or spoken to his wife since January 1st. January 5th, the search for Anna went public, and news outlets picked up the story of the devoted 39-year-old mother who went missing near Boston. January 6th, the couple's former house catches fire, but police determined that it's just a random coincidence and that it had nothing to do with Anna's disappearance. January 7th, a ground search in the woods near the Walsh's home is suspended. January 8th, the police arrest Brian Walsh, alleging that he had failed to accurately disclose his whereabouts at the time of his wife's disappearance. January 10th, items were removed from the Walsh house for DNA testing. A blood spot and blood-stained knife have since been found in the basement of the couple's home outside of Boston, which is highly suspicious, and it's starting to look more and more like the case of the missing mother, Jennifer Dulos. Bloody trash bags and a rug have also been located outside of the home, along with a hatchet and a hacksaw which is particularly concerning because there's really no reason for those items to be there. Brian Walsh's car has also been impounded and shows signs of a recent cleaning. Brian is alleged to have conducted suspicious computer searches as well, including one on, quote, how to dispose of a 115-pound woman's body after Anna disappeared. The couple's three children are currently in state custody, and Anna's family is desperately trying to get to the United States while Brian sits in jail being held on a $500,000 bond. He has pleaded not guilty and is scheduled for his next hearing on February 9th. So I did a search for Anna Walsh and found her on Instagram. And her profile is very interesting because there is an obvious lack of pictures of her husband. Now, don't get me wrong. She's got a lot of family-related postings on there and some with her children. But it was particularly interesting to me that none really included her husband. There was very, very few. And I believe the last one that included him was at least a year, maybe a year and a half ago. And I also noticed that in a lot of the pictures on her profile, she's not wearing a wedding ring. So I wonder if there is some sort of a falling out or if they were moving towards a separation or divorce or if she just changed how she felt about her husband. But it does not seem to me in looking at those pictures like this was a loving and normal relationship between the two. Now, I could be completely way off on this because, you know, people do post on Instagram things that that are very, very different from where their life actually is. And sometimes, you know, making assumptions about things on Instagram can be a pretty tricky thing because things aren't as they seem when you're looking at these social media outlets. But 
It appears that there might be a drifting apart between these two, like I mentioned, for a number of reasons, the heart of which could be his criminal enterprises, his lack of any sort of gainful employment during their seven-year marriage, and finally, the embarrassment of everything that was happening related to Brian's conviction. So here is this ambitious career woman who is driven, who is going places in this world, and who's making a good salary and doing things and forging her way ahead. And then she's got this criminal husband who's on house arrest, who hasn't had any gainful employment during the course of their marriage, and who is really contributing nothing besides being a stay-at-home parent. And don't get me wrong, being a stay-at-home parent can be very important, and perhaps that was just what she preferred so that she could work this high-power, well-paying job. But in any case, here is the issue of this ambitious mother, this younger, pretty, successful, and ambitious woman. You see her and you wonder why she stayed with this fraudster. If you see pictures of him, you see that he has not aged well. I want to make it clear that Brian Walsh has not been convicted of anything yet as it relates to Anna Walsh, except for this deception and not being clear about his whereabouts on the day that she disappeared. He has not been convicted of any murder or abuse charges against his wife yet. So we're not going to say that he is responsible for that, but he is alleged to have some sort of responsibility in that. And he isn't looking so good as the evidence is continuing to stack up pretty quickly. This case is starting to look to me a lot like the Jennifer Dulos case, and I kind of mentioned that earlier. This is the young mother who disappears, and there's a bloody trail at the house and various other locations, and this kind of shady husband in the background who has either a violent or a criminal history. And clearly, Brian Walsh has a very scary history. He has a history of being a liar. He has a history of manipulating people and stealing and doing whatever he feels he needs to do to survive. And whether that's because of his upbringing, you know, we can only speculate. But perhaps Anna just got to the point where she was just done and he snapped. But I sincerely hope that they do find this young mother, but we also know that the longer this thing stretches out, statistically, the less likely it is that Anna Walsh is going to be found alive. Regardless of Brian's guilt or innocence, it's hard to believe that in this day and age, someone can murder someone in cold blood and think they can get away with it. If I had to guess, and this is just pure speculation, I would say that some sort of confrontation happened on New Year's Eve. And this had to have been in the wee small hours of the morning. Either Brian got tired of Anna wearing the pants all the time, or Anna told him she was done. He flew into a rage and killed this woman and cut her up and took her out of the house in pieces to make her disappear so that no one would find her body. Now, that is just my own opinion of it, and it seems as though... You know, there's trash found in multiple locations. There's a bloody knife. There's bloody carpets. He's getting all these cleaning supplies. His car's recently been cleaned. It's all stacking up in sort of a situation where it looks like this, this case is suddenly coming into focus and Brian Walsh is looking guiltier and guiltier as the days go by. Undoubtedly, this case will get resolved sooner or later and we will keep everyone up to speed as it winds its way through the court system. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram at BFD podcast. Please join us again next week as we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe. Keep it real and always live your very best life. Bye.